Do you know what your partner's up to when you're away and they're all alone? No, what? They're listening to the Screw Podcast, of course. What's that? Mm, sit back, relax, and listen. You're all gasmatics. You're all gasmatics. Sneaking in the back door with dirty might seem. So your mother wants to know what all the stains on your jeans. And you're all gasmatics. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Screw Podcast with Felicia Rose and A-Love. No funny nickname today, A-Love. How you doing? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I don't feel like a funny nickname today. Aw. <laughs> what's the matter? You want to wanna talk about uh, on the podcast? I'm just fucking perpetually tired lately. Uh, aging is not for yeah. the week, let me tell you. You've been off of the energy drinks, huh? Um, anyway. Sort of. Not. Uh, you're a fucking liar. You totally have been taking energy drinks. I, like, I have been like taking a drug. them. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, they are a drug. Let's be real. <clears throat> they are. They very much are a fucking drug, and they're addictive as shit. Speaking of drugs, we are talking this round about HIV and HIV, HIV status, U equals U, and all of the fun things under that umbrella. So last week... Or two weeks ago, right? Was yeah. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. I don't know how things work anymore. <laughs> two weeks ago, we started to talk about HIV on a broader level, and we discussed a lot of the things that you and I know and or thought we knew. Uh, and now we are back to basically <laughs> debunk the myths around our brain and give people a proper updated answer to a lot of the questions that we had. Absolutely. And obviously, I have to preface this, like, your information and facts are only good as your sources. And like, we're not getting any scholarly like letters for this research. But I will say (laughs) (laughs) the research that one is doing is to kind of try to be really honest about like, you know, what, you know, are we completely off base? Are there things out there that kind of contradict and or like, clarify some of the things that we said you know and i think that's important i think it's important to make a note of the fact that you know you and i are two people that i would consider heavily involved in water sports yes absolutely in water sport yes uh heavily (laughs) (laughs) i would say like compared to the average person I think we know or we thought we knew a lot more about HIV in general than just than the average knowledge. So yeah. the fact of the matter is if we have things that are wrong, I'm sure plenty of people listening are going to learn a lot from Absolutely. And I think we so. asked we asked some good questions that I thought were a little bit more atypical than what, you know, people are usually asking and talk, talking about. With, it's so funny. I was listening to the podcast last week, and like um, you, you said something about us all sitting in HIV or something like that. It's definitely one of the better quotes from that episode. <laughs> You're like, and I could have put that better, or <laughs> like you, because you, I like start giggling and like look, you know, for all those respectability politic people out there, like if you can't laugh about HIV, you're missing the point. You know, like we can't like stew inside this like, you know, super, you know, these things are shit that we grew up with and are scary. And one of the reasons that I think people don't talk about these things is they're almost become like taboo in this like respective way. Like you like you can't be stupid about these things. Right. And that's not fair. Nobody learns without being a little stupid about things first. Right. It's there's like this weird line down the middle where it's either people I feel are still they're not their knowledge of this topic is still very very much archaic and then on the other side there's a lot of like knowledge snobbery if you will and the (laughs) fact is that you know we we are not gatekeepers of information but we also don't claim to know everything so we're on a journey with our listeners now some listeners actually reached out to me last week to say I listened to your last episode and I learned a lot and I can't wait to listen to the new episode to figure out what it is that y'all got wrong so clearly our listener base at least part of it doesn't know what we're talking about or doesn't know all of the aspects of the things that we're talking about so again it's nice to have a journey together 
we know some stuff. We don't know some stuff. We're going to debunk what we don't know. And then we're going to move on to talk to somebody that's more of a quote unquote expert in the field. So again, I just really appreciate that people understand what we're doing here and that they're along the journey, along on this journey with us. I, yeah. Because knowledge is goddamn power and we're going to sit in our HIV. <laughs> Thank you. I don't even remember what the fuck you're quoting. So no, I, I think that's good. <laughs> sitting in HIV. So, you know, we can start anywhere, I suppose, but you know, Starting at the top of my notes Start is probably the butt. <laughs> started. Oh, well. the top of your notes is fine as well. <laughs> so um, we talked a little bit about um, you know prep and the new injectable prep, and and for the most part, like we got the information pretty correct. Um, but I do want to like point out that it wasn't until I was verifying some of this information that I realized how um, what would be the term? It's like urban like urban centered or urban like we have urban city filters on our eyes we think because these things are happening in the cities that they apply to everywhere (laughs) it's like right like as an example when i walk outside and i cross the street to my local and by local i mean there's one in every block so my local bodega there's a sign for hiv prep right out there Right. And it, it's a sign with a woman on it, mind you. You know, so right. it's like this is just a part of my average cityscape that I see on a regular basis. But that is so not the norm for most people that aren't Absolutely. in a major metropolis, if you will. And and metropolis. this is where I'll keep us, you know, in check and balance too. We also um, I think saw this through like kind of a little bit of a white privilege lens, you know. Um mm. As mm-hmm. it turns out, most of the people taking prep and having success with prep are white men. Um, not that that's overly surprising to anybody <laughs> in general, um, but they are also been like the population whose HIV, um, uh, you know, kind of serial conversion has been on the decline for a long time, um, even before prep. Right. So you know, privileges buying, you know kind of better information and better access to, you know, meds and these kind of things and healthcare in general. Exactly. Honestly, just the fact that if you're on say Medicare or Medicaid and you are in a major city and you want something like HIV prep, just the ability to get an appointment, a regular fucking appointment with one doctor that doesn't completely cut into your work schedule, it's like a fucking impossibility. Absolutely. You know, so so the fact of the matter is the closer to privilege you are, the closer to medicine and medication you are, period. Uh, very well said. And, and you know, I, I, I wrote down a bunch of things, but I think the important thing is the stats from last year. Uh, 69% of PrEP users were white, only 9% mm-hmm. were black, and 18% were Latino. So I think, you know, one of the concerns of most of these studies, and by the way, this was on NBC News, but they got like most of their information from, you know, reputable HIV stats places. Um, And, uh, you know, one of those questions was, well, there's this new Appertude, which has been out for about a year. And just, I also found out it's been, it's literally been a decade since PrEP has been available. And one of the reasons I came across this article was basically because there's a stagnation, right? And a stagnation is kind of like, well, you still have, you have a certain amount of people contracting HIV and that number is not going down or up, right? So that means like you, instead of having more uptake of the use of PrEP, you know, and, and, and actually watching transmission rates go down, we're, we're not seeing that, Right. So, you know, the place that it's worth the most and again, city thing, but like also a lot of the population lives in New York and San Francisco. (laughs) So and in these kind of places, especially when we're talking queer folks and, you know, high risk communities. But like this, is what I hate that term high risk community. Actually, you know, I wanted to stop you right there, but I also hate interrupting you, which I do often. Um we didn't tell our listeners last time why transmission of HIV is often higher with gay men. Right. Right. Or no, bisexual th- men. That's true. Actually, that's would a really you like good to question. Speak on that. I think that it would be nice to actually 
Sure. I mean, I think what and, and it's a per, it could be a personal experience thing, but I know like what my doctors have told me. First. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think it's a fair question. I mean, the tissue around the anus is very prone to like small tears and and even sometimes like small droplets of blood that we don't see. So if you're participating in, you know, a penetrative anal sacs, you are finding yourself like possibly at risk of like more kind of bloodborne situations and HIV is transmittable through semen and through blood. So, um, you know, you definitely are finding yourself in a high risk, you know, spot with that activity. Um, you know, and I mean, I've heard all sorts of risk levels for, you know, certain things in the past and I've looked them up and as much as there are certain things that are risk levels or in theory risk levels, it doesn't always translate to actual like people getting it that way. Like I always heard the worst thing is like, don't rim anybody, you know, without like a barrier because that's like super, super high HIV possibility. And, you know, okay, fine. But there's actually no documented cases of anybody getting HIV from rimming somebody. (laughs) So, or being rimmed by somebody who was HIV positive. So you have to keep these things in mind. And again, that's where we try to talk harm reduction, right? It's not about being scared every time, like, you know, the flesh meets the mat, so to speak. (laughs) It's kind of like, (laughs) you know, you you, want to be smart and you want to understand these things because knowledge is the ultimate power um, in, in this well, sense. And I think that's a helpful thing for anybody to know, especially if you're going to participate in something like group sex or something like, a you know, a gang bang or anything like that, mm-hmm. where, you know, it doesn't matter if we're, we're talking bi, straight, gay, queer, pan, it really doesn't matter. It's the acts themselves that lend themselves to a higher uh, risk of transmission of anything that you might have. Totally. So at the end of the day, the 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 whole kind of I don't want to put like a period on this, but like <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> at the at the end of the day, people have to remember that there are acts that you could simply take out of the equation mm-hmm. if you don't say know the person very well, right. or you're having uh, you know swinger sex or something like that so for our listeners that are like none of this applies to me well it could apply to you because you might end up in a situation doing anal with somebody right you might and and it it has nothing to do with being a gay man again the tissue in the ass is easily ripped well and, and let's put it this way regardless if you're having conversations about having riskier quote-unquote sexual activities with somebody you should be actually asking what activities are you commonly participating in you don't need to know with whom or whatever but like do you get fucked raw often frequently or never is an okay question to ask (laughs) are you having extremely rough sex it doesn't matter which hole at that point right exactly uh all of those things are things that you need to keep in mind so i think you know, people that are like, this doesn't apply to me. It does apply to you. You just don't realize that the ways in which it does apply to you. You have to keep those things in mind, especially when you're having multiple partners. Absolutely. And so unfortunately, like I I was saddened to see that the aptitude injection um, is having very little uptake in, even though in, in studies, it's, provides way more coverage. It's injectable every two months, but we can guess again, this is an access issue None of the insurance companies are being forced to cover it, so they're not covering mm. it. And unlike PrEP, which with the Affordable Care Act um, made a guarantee for medications that are preventative being covered with $0 copay, um, Apertude has not made found itself in that category yet. But they are hoping... I wonder why. Um, you know, because you have to apply for these things, right? Uh, um, it's, it's, it's shit with whatever. So they have applied, and the... Th- the guess is that it will be available in 2025. And then the one little thing I have to say, there is an injectable that is slated to come out, probably won't come out till 2030. That is every six months, which obviously the the more infrequently you have to take medication, in theory, <laughs> the more adherent you'll be. Um, again, I think, unfortunately, injectables that are in the doctor's office also propose still um, more barriers and access issues. So uh, if there's any 
fucking devils from the drug companies listening to this podcast, which I doubt it. Um, you should think about making this shit self-injectable like a fucking EpiPen and get it to work like that. That's it. Or or why can't we give it, you know, self-injectable is obviously the best answer, duh. But why can't we give it to something like a CVS pharmacy to inject? Yeah, exactly. I, I got all my shots at motherfucking CVS. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure, I'm wondering, I mean, and in, in again, it's the 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 weird category of these preventative things versus vaccines. Cause you know, now most of the pharmacists in most States are vaccine certified, you know, to give, to give different kinds of vaccines at the retail level. But I do wonder, cause um, they haven't, I don't think they've made that a thing with the, um, the um, oh, shoot. I used to know the name of it. The, the birth control injection Depo-Provera? Depo-Provera. I still haven't seen that come to the pharmacy for inject, injectability, if you will. So anyway, so yeah, there's a little information, you know, this, uh, you know, uh, NBC recently. So, you know, this is pretty current information. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of questions as to, you know, why... Why, given, especially in places like New York City, with, like, huge ad campaigns targeted at different communities, is there not um, a bigger uptake by the Black and Latin community? Um, you know, and again, like like you said, it, it's not just about making it free and available. It's actually, like, how are people even in general accessing health care? Are they ha- accessing health care? Are they even in a position to be thinking about their health care, you know? And, and and there's a lot of skepticism that also exists in some of these communities around medicine and in Western medicine and vaccines in general. So, right. yeah, so that was, you know, I'm, <laughs> that took up some portion. But I do think, you know, given we are talking about things like protecting yourself from HIV, you should have like the most complete current information, you know, possible. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So what about um, HIV and substance use? What did you find about that? So last time we were like, I wonder if there's a correlation between HIV medicine compliance and substance use. So, So, you know, what we mean by that is if somebody is using substances, harder substances, not like fucking marijuana, obviously, mm -hmm. um, is there any problems with the compliance of them taking their actual prep and therefore making them not um, what is it? Un- adherent, not inherent or uh, uncompliant. Uncompliant. Yes. Uncompliant. Yeah. Uncompliant, <laughs> uncompliant sounds so rude. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so, right. So, again, we said last week, these meds are only as good as, like, their compliance. And, you know, this is where one has to remember the difference between anecdotal evidence, meaning, like, you personally saw people not do something very well versus, like, statistically meaningful, right? <laughs> so the people who went out and asked this question and did some studies, in this case, this was um, a CUNY study, so New York City, uh, done in 2018, um, basically, it's assessed um, and followed a bunch of individuals um, while they used all sorts of substances, including coke, uh, methamphetamine, marijuana, um, alcohol, and had them basically record, record a journal and, and, you know, whatever. You don't need to know the methods of the whole fucking thing. But, <laughs> <laughs> but in, in general, they did not find a huge difference between people who are not like, dealing with a substance use disorder versus people that were. In turn, in, in, in that, you know, I'll, I'll keep that kind of information even now in full transparency. On average, most people who are you know, not doing substances are missing one to two doses in a 30 day period. So they didn't find that these people who are also missing one to two doses in a 30 day period really had any kind of indication of missing more doses because of the substances they were using. So I was kind of like, you know, it was kind of debunked in that sense, meaning like, you know, in general, people are about uh, that compliant on the medicine and ironically, that is about as many doses as you can miss and still have the kind of coverage that you're, you're seeking on the medication. Um, so in general, no, that, that's not how, you know, new cases are happening. You know, new transmission of HIV is happening. It's not happening from people, uh, you know, taking PrEP and doing drugs and not being compliant. 
So debunked, not happening. Debunked. (laughs) However, when the question was kind of moved towards HIV positivity and substance use, the the scene changes a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So substance use not only progresses HIV, um, it it, it also enters that compliance issue um, into it. So they have noticed that, you know, adherence on HIV medic because it's, it's, you know, you have like this thing of where you're trying to keep your viral load down. The more non, you know, compliant you are on your HIV medication, the more of a chance that that viral load can spike up. Right. And if you're doing substances that are also weakening your immune system, you're going to have more opportunities for HIV to progress in your system. Right. Right. So we're not talking prep here. We're talking actual. Right. Exactly. Retroviral, which is what you take after you've actually contracted HIV. Exactly, exactly. And this was per the uh, a CDC study. So, um, you know, their their basic um, kind of overall and take it with a grain of salt was that you know substance use while you're HIV positive worsens worsens your overall consequences uh, when dealing with HIV. So, it sounds like a very uh, broad safe. way of saying right. like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, don't do it. it generally speaking, <laughs> we don't do crack while taking while having being <laughs> HIV right. positive, which is you know, just don't do crack. Just in don't general, do crack right? in like, general. Usually, it's probably not that usually good. Usually, a good, a good rule to go by. It rots your brain. <laughs> rugs, rugs fucking suck, man. That shit hooks you two yeah. seconds in. So, no judgment. No judgment. Um, how about young people having sex less? Is that because I, I know I brought that up because I don't know. I don't It's probably like a TikTok so thing. I you, you, you did. And in general, you're right. Um, <laughs> I love being right. In general, you're right. Um, the m- most interesting decrease has been in the age 14 to 17 age group. Um, and but overall, it's it's not outpacing human beings in general. Um, 40 year olds are having less sex, 30 year olds are having less sex and younger people in general are having less sex at similar rates. So there's a whole bunch of conversations about why that's happening. And, 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 and this article I, you know, found from, um, what is that? WBUR is what, like PBS or something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> public public radio. Um, I used to listen to WBR when I lived in uh, Boston. Um, they're usually really good. So the actual study, and I thought this was really cool and honest. Like um, the study was done by the National Survey of Sexual Health and Behavior, which you know I've quoted stats from them before on this podcast too. Um, but uh, you know, the article was actually very honest and say they don't actually ask the question as to why, right? But from 2009 to 2018, there were reported declines in all penile vaginal intercourse, anal sex, and partnered masturbation. Hmm. Um, so wait, does that mean everybody's just having oral sex? Because that wasn't included. <laughs> Interesting. So... Um, so, um, anyways, the, the, the study didn't actually ask the question, but this was the first step. They're going to start asking the question as to finding out what might be driving it. Um, and they did kind of like look around at some of the questions around, you know, they're making guesses, right? And they said, looking at adolescents that are armed with more language, uh, they're, you know, likely to express their identity and, and they are kind of like being delayed in general around a number of things, including sexual expression. So, you know, and by a number of things, I think where, what did I read several years ago? It's just kind of like, like young people are being coddled, quote unquote, into an older age than we used to be. Like there yeah. used to be that big shift. You're 18, get the fuck out of the house. Um, <laughs> but that's also, we have to put a class context to that too, Right. The middle class has always coddled their children. <laughs> That's not a new phenomenon. <laughs> you know, but I think that the change that they're talking about is an overall change in the population. So, uh, yeah, kids are staying kids for a longer time now. Yeah. Yeah, they, they have, are. Like, licenses and all of that shit. Like, that's, it's delayed now. It's almost like we are, we're not rushing you out to go be a member of of the working class society, blah, blah, blah. 
So, so do it at your own pace. And that includes fucking everything. Like before we had to know who we were going to like marry and move out with when we were 18 years old. So we needed to fuck around. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, so you'll, like you'll, you'll like there. this finding that they found. Um, one of their odd findings that they found. Um, while people are having lesser sex, they are, there is a huge increase in the amount of people exploring rough sex. So in their study, a significant number of people ages 18 to 29 reported experiencing things like punching and choking during intimate activity. What? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> uh, it says... Um, I have no comment on that. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're um, as somebody who had a piece of her jaw extracted last year because of rough sex, from years prior, mind you, um, yeah, don't get punched in the face. Yeah, no, no face work. No face I, work. I, I, I'm not going to judge, but I am not going to. And don't be choked by anybody who's never choked anybody before. As fuck. Oh anybody. yeah, that too. Yeah, right. don't, don't forget our our, our rough sex disclaimer. <laughs> yes. Remember when I got like slapped and they slapped me on my eardrum and perforated my eardrum? Yes. That was like a fucked yeah. up faux pas. We both have like problems. Yeah. Like. Yeah, you gotta know your shit. Ongoing issues because of rough sex. And it's just, exactly. Yeah, not good. Anyways, not good. so I mean, I thought, I thought, you know, while that's not directly related um, to, you know, quote unquote HIV, and I actually I didn't see anything in there in that study or the conversation around it. Not like cited young people saying, "I'm afraid of STIs," right? Which would be something maybe like twenty years ago or before prep or whatever people might have said, right? I think I'll, I'll say this. I think knowledge is a big piece of the puzzle Um, because before it was all, it was a lot of like, we're going to teach you fear-based health education or sex education Mm -hmm. or abstinence only. And what do kids love the most? They love doing and experimenting with things that they're told not to do. Yeah. Nobody's telling them not to anymore. We're teaching them how to do it the right way or, or whatever the right way means. You know what I mean? In a safer way or in a healthier way. And not everywhere. And that's not all school systems. But I feel like in general, health curriculum curriculum has really grown a lot. And so because of that, we're teaching kids like real ramifications of sex and not in that like scary we're going to make you watch a baby pop out of this hairy pussy in seventh grade way. It's more so in like an educated, mature way. And because of that, I think that a lot of younger people now have so many tools to realize like, eh, sounds like there's a lot of risk and not as much as not as much reward that I'm promised. Mm. Also most, this is just all, by the way, this is all my own speculation, but I feel that, the whole like hormones raging thing kids act on that or acted on those back in the day because they, you know, what did you do for fun? You hung out with your friends. You went off and you went into the basement and played spin the bottle. You snuck into the woods and hung out like at a bonfire. Mm. Kids don't really do that shit anymore. That's not as common anymore because we have the internet for entertainment. You know, people are, are, are staying home and playing video games or they're reading uh, they're not reading books they're (laughs) (laughs) they're reading comic books or they're playing video games or they're online or they're making tiktoks or they're enjoying other people's lives and content whereas before you had to go out and have your own fun and your own fun included oh fun the neighbor boy is coming over and we might fool around and that's naughty because it's taboo and our parents told us not to hang out with boys and blah, blah, blah. like the more the the less opportunity that you have to be around somebody else with raging hormones the less you're going to actually act on those right right that's how it feels. well and so so i kind of like you know i decided you know when i didn't see anything deliberately about that to like reverse engineer the question a little bit right like mm-hmm. and say well so does has the um kind of like you know, reality of prep and things like prep and information, like actually changed, you know, um, people's like behaviors in terms of what, like what kind of sex they're willing to have. Like, are they willing to engage in like riskier sexual behaviors and things like that? 
<laughs> right? And I came across this really cool article, right? So, you know, for those of you who don't know, I'm studying public health, so, like, the stuff that's been giving me, like, a little bit of a, like, brain boner lately. But, like, <laughs> you know, one of the questions that we're always asking is, what are the things, you know, outside of this, like, you know, really stereotypical, like, biomedical model of, like, you know, like, take your pills and you'll be healthy kind of idea. And, like, how do you get people to take their pills? Or, you know, like, I'm simplifying it. But, like, one of the things is, like, well, there's people don't just go on something like PrEP, right, just because they're paranoid and want to be extra safe. Sometimes they go on PrEP because they want to do dirtier things that they haven't done before. Mm. So, (laughs) interestingly enough, they, you know... Because the problem is, is if PrEP is so effective, 99%, almost like, like really going neck and neck with like condom effectiveness and preventing HIV, then, you know, how do you get more people on it, right? There's still like a big, you know, big portion of like the rest of America outside of the major urban areas that is not taking this medicine, right? And... You know, a lot of the way that they try to find these people is like, uh, you know, we should find high risk people. And again, don't like this term and make mm. sure we we advertise to them and get them on that prep. Right. Rather than like maybe starting a campaign from a less like risk scare perspective and saying, <laughs> you know, making it a little bit more fun. Right. So, right. you know. But in order to do that, you have to understand about, you know, people's behaviors outside of just an assumption. Oh, they want to take it because they don't want HIV. Well, maybe they want to take it because they want to, like, you know, have unprotected sex for the first time in their life or, you know, uh, things like that. The research on this was a very interesting study because, it, it you know, it's kind of saying, you know, please keep in mind, like, you know, your your class, what kind of behaviors you, you engaged in before that and after that. Um, and, you know, that that there are, you know, kind of access-related barriers to this kind of stuff. So, like, you know, don't be thinking of it in, like, this completely, like, privileged way. So, um, <laughs> which is kind of cool because they were able to, like, kind of really talk about it and say, hey, you know, I'm taking this because I do feel more comfortable doing things like having sex with an HIV positive person or engaging in, you know, maybe swallowing a load, you know, which, you know, some, a lot of people wouldn't do, (laughs) you know? So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's interesting to see that. Yes. On some level, um, the existence of, of this, you know, prep and U equals U has changed people's thoughts about what behavior to engage in, even if overall they're having less sex, the kind of sex that people are having when they have it is definitely different than it was 10, you know, over 10 years ago. Right. Absolutely. So, so there you have it. There you have it. All I know is, is it, hold on, hold on. I might be wrong. Is Discovery the one with the commercial that's like, yeah. nothing is everything? Uh-huh. Or is that like a different, uh, is that Discovery? Yeah, I think, I think I'm pretty sure it is Discovery. And I'm going to sing it one more time. No. Nothing is everything. So just so, you know, <laughs> so people know, like, you know, basically, you know, Gilead, <laughs> who came up, well, I never want to say they came up with it because the fact of the matter is a bunch of really smart scientists and researchers with t- public tax dollars came up with, like, these medications in general. But Gilead, like, came up with Descovy because Truvada went generic and they wanted to make keep making money. And then they tried to, like, say, well, Descovy has, like, a, a better profile on kidney damage. I'm just giving, like, the realness on this, right? (laughs) So, like, but either way, you're supposed to be getting your labs every three months to check, you know, and make sure your kidney is doing okay while you're on PrEP. So there's a little bit more side information uh, for you. You should be getting tested uh, for HIV and getting your your kidneys. I think it's either three months or six months. And, you know, and different providers are probably participating in different practices around that. But um, do you? think is kidney failure i wonder if doctors at all are the ones that are saying don't go on prep to 
Black and Latino communities because I'm reading statistics. African-Americans are three times more likely and um, Hispanics and or Latinos are 1.3 times more likely to have kidney failure compared to white Americans. I wonder if there's a correlation between that. Well, Obviously, that the the whole like nine percent and eighteen percent is very small. Right. So uh, even still, I'm sure that I, we talked about. I earlier, mean, there, let's be that's real. The direct relation. <laughs> the direct relation is the American healthcare system does not care about Black people or Latinos. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the cold hard f- truth is the U.S. Um, healthcare system in general is racist as fuck. So right. like, you know, and, and that's not, I'm not saying the saying that all cops are bad thing. I'm not saying your doctor is racist or your nurse is racist, although they very well may, may be. I'm talking about institutionalized the racism. The system's in place. Right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Institutionally, it is a racist system. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like, I think, you know, I, I think... And obviously, kidney failure happens for a whole lot of reasons. You know, it happens from alcoholism. It happens, you know, you know, for just predisposition to having bad kidneys. You know, like I, 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 I know that there's like a lot of lawsuit stuff around like prep and like kidney failure. Um, I just don't think it's incredibly statistically significant for a provider to like be encouraging them to get HIV instead. Right. <laughs> Not that okay. that's what they're encouraging, but Good like Good it's kind of like the retrofit. <laughs> like and honestly, in cost cost effectiveness or whatever if you will, like maintenance of HIV positivity is more expensive than just putting somebody on prep. <laughs> so, right. Right. you know, um and I think, you know, that is why there's such a push for better coverage of prep in general, you know. It's mm-hmm. uh you know, if you if you can't change the behavior, like provide some protection <laughs> at least. And then, yeah, anyways, so I mean, I think out of that, you know, we asked some really good questions about like HIV fetish or whatever. But I came across this really interesting thing about nine bad sex experiences that HIV po- that HIV positive people face, and you know. I think, like, some of it was interesting, right? So uh, number one is the mobile minefield um, where, you know, somebody's, you know, basically, these are these are questions asked to HIV-positive people. And they said, the only place I still encounter hate and ignorance is on smartphone apps. Talking. <laughs> right. So, like, grinder. Exactly. You got it. Um, they're often on grinder that reply, you have HIV? Nah, man, I'm not into that. Um and you know, I find that interesting because this this is um, it's a fairly current article, right? So like, you know, U equals U and and prep. I mean, and this could be in communities again. This is that urban filter we keep talking about. <laughs> like, people in New York aren't really saying that. I haven't like heard people like, especially HIV positive friends, say that people are saying that necessarily. But like, maybe. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, this person also said on the flip side, there's lots of apps that can connect you to HIV, um, positive people, um, and like, you know, you can deal with people that are a little bit more front friendlier. Um, mm-hmm. let's see. Uh, <laughs> number two was the universal freak out before we go any further. I'm HIV positive and undetectable is what this person tells. And then. Um, I had already started sucking his dick and realized I needed to get formalities out of the way. (laughs) These are kind of cute. He pulled away and looked at me and said, that's manslaughter. He said, if you get me sick, you'll fucking kill me. Oh my God. Intense, right? Um... So it's like somebody that watched Philadelphia. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, God. God forbid they watch Philadelphia. For the rest of their life. <laughs> right. So another thing they deal with I'm is sorry. is the gossip where they get people that say they had great sex and then share their positive status with everybody. And basically the, the gossiper oh. says, I had the most awesome sex and he was HIV positive. Like yeah. that has anything to do with each other. Um, but, um, keep in mind, there is still legality issues around this conversation. Um, and some states, if you do not disclose, you can face up to 10 years in prison. 
Yeah, yeah. I just read that. Fuck. So even even in New York, um, they they um, it counts as a misdemeanor. In a lot of the other states, it's a felony. Are we, are we talking about non-disclosure of any HIV status or just just not, positivity? Not unde- yeah. So so it doesn't matter if you're positive, undetectable. You have to. Just doesn't matter exactly. Okay. So that I, not, I had a fear that that was the case when yeah. we were last talking, and that's yeah, that's fucking. Yeah. Um. So um. Then there's the quote unquote the questioner. We are instructed to inform all partners of our HIV status prior to sex. HIV criminalization laws threaten to incarcerate us if we don't. So as a disclaimer, I write HIV positive and undetectable on all my profiles. Uh, from I like his examples. From asspig.com, which I'm like so curious is a real thing, to <laughs> Rieger, R-E-E-G-U-R. And yes, I'm spelling this in case you want to find it. And Rieger is about... Supposedly, and it has umlauts over the U. It does, like grinder, but for guys into fisting. Um, <laughs> although I can't control someone's ability or inclination to read, but it's there. If you are HIV positive, this story may sound familiar. After learning your status, the cute person you're talking to has many questions. How did you get HIV? Do you know who infected you? Can I get it from your saliva? How do you know you're undetectable right now? Can I get it from kissing? When should I go get tested? Oh I, I I like these examples. When should you do research on your own? Right. Well said. Um, I'm sorry, but like this isn't you know it, we didn't get HIV yesterday in a in our society. Like I understand not having any experience with a lot of these term a lot of this terminology because, for example, maybe you're straight cis and in a long term relationship for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, then sure, this stuff maybe doesn't apply to you in a way where you would go and find like the newest information. But if I was a single gay man having promiscuous sex, I would absolutely know a little bit more than can you get it from kissing? Jesus Christ. Like take some fucking self accountability once in a while. Right. Like, right. Sorry. No, no. People you're fucking shouldn't be your educators too. That's not fair to them. That's so rude. Yeah. And so like number five is the mean, the mean threesome. Um, so it's like, whatever, they're like about to hook up and have a three-way and somebody discloses and then all of a sudden somebody's tired. And then like, you know, he, uh, he's talking to the other person with the three-way, wasn't my HIV? He didn't respond right away. Then, sorry, man, I'm still not super cool with it. I never spoke to him again. The only reason I like, I'm reading this one because I, I thought this like last part was interesting. Zero discordant couples face scenarios like this often. So that means, for those of that you don't know, that one is HIV positive and one is HIV negative. Um, and this happens often, sometimes, even if, especially if they're non-monogamous. Recognizing the signs of posphobia and ascertaining comfort with your HIV status before proceeding is something every serodiscordant couple needs to talk about. So, I mean, I imagine those conversations are happening more and more. You know, like, I, I do feel like, I mean, and I haven't personally done it yet, you know, um, but like, you know, I've certainly had conversations with people that it has gone like it's much more simply because I, I know what I'm talking about and they know what they're talking about where you can say, I'm paused. Does that bother you? And I say, no, like, are you, you know, are you, you equals you? And they're like, yeah, oh, great. You know what that is? And I was like, cool. Yeah. And I'm on prep. You know, and I haven't, I've had that conversation, but I haven't actually, I'm a lazy hookup person. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. It takes a lot to get me out the door. Um, So, you know, but I, I, I've had more of those conversations. I've heard of more people having those conversations where it just kind of ain't no thing. Um, But like, you know, just because I have in the city where more people know about these things doesn't necessarily mean that's what's happening on the streets. So it is interesting to still see different information. Um, number six, that person at a sex party. If you're going to a bareback sex party, you're fine. Bareback culture rejects posphobia. And I like that statement in general, but that is not 100% true, you know, by any means. There are plenty of people that bear back that definitely don't want to have, like, sex with HIV-positive people. 
I mean, that's very true. Um, so, um, you know, uh, it says if you encounter someone at a sex party or a bathhouse sex club who expresses discomfort with your status or worse, tells you to leave, tell them to go get lost and move on. If they're the host, leave the party and go to a better one. <laughs> I appreciate the sassiness, but like that yeah, is exactly I what like the, I like that a gay guy definitely wrote. This yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, cool, but there is a lot of blanket statements in that. And I get that a lot of people have probably experienced that, you know, and are trying to like make it sound like, you know, those are your people, but be careful. Barebackers aren't necessarily those people that are not HIV positive phobic, you know? Um, so number seven is the pitier. And these are really like, you know, in the search to find kind of things that like, you know, feelings about how HIV positive people feel about sex in the world right now. Like I did find this like the more interesting list of things that was less academic and more like people magazine. <laughs> <laughs> the pitier. Pity is the other side of fear. It may seem benign, but it's not. I like that statement. Potential bedmates have asked if I'm destitute, homeless, a drug addict, or a victim of sexual assault after I tell them my HIV status. Yeah, that I've definitely heard so that from so fucked up in so many different ways. Like Yeah, I've definitely heard that, that from that's people. That's phobia on the worst level because basically you have to have been in a horrible situation to get HIV or you have to be a person that either <laughs> hangs out with bad people or you are right. a bad person. I, I, I love this person. At the, like they say at the end, no person living with HIV is seeking a pity party. We don't want to talk about it. We want to get laid. <laughs> Amen. I've, I've, yeah, seriously. Like, I mean, but that's, but that's the, that's the bitter trick of it. Right. Like, you know, I do feel like those people that disclose get punished in one of these like stereotypical manners of like, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing and tell people I have it. But like now I'm open to like the questioning, the whatever, rather than like, can we just fuck? <laughs> like you see the status in there. You're making an informed decision, you know, and I've always said like, even even if you don't have like the explicit, can you like say, hey, you know, did you check out my like profile and make sure that they read it? Even if you don't want to use all the words because you just want to get to the fucking. I get that because like having like we don't sit and have a whole debate about like our general health history every time we have sex right like when was the last time you had a cold when was it you know like you it's not really get like it's not foreplay have you ever had a cold sore (laughs) right exactly so i still have this hope and i'm gonna say number eight is the dishonest bug chaser and we talked about what that meant last week and i still have a hope of some sort that i can like get a self-proclaimed bug chaser on a round table um because oh, i want that so bad i want to yeah. talk to somebody that, but i, I don't know the psychology of it i'm also like nervous about making hiv positive individuals of the round table uncomfortable by having a bug chaser well we can always get a quote from a bug chaser. that's true so okay so i like this so i have no problem with hiv this person and, and oh see this was one of the questions i have i have no problem with hiv fetishes also so-called bug chasers as long as they're honest a few years ago a handsome guy started messaging me on grinder we chatted for a week and decided to go on a date we went to a decent restaurant got a little tipsy and went back to his place in the elevator up to his apartment he asked so you're not on meds right nah i am don't worry i said i'm undetectable by now we were on his floor what does that mean i can't transmit hiv i'm healthy i said i diligently take my meds oh he said i was hoping you would would what see me i like talk to come i can't do that i said okay he said well it's kind of late can we call it a night sure (laughs) on my way back to my car i texted him he never responded and blocked me on the app i've told this bizarre story to several people over the years and they always ask the same question would you have gone on the date if he had been honest in the beginning the answer is probably it's one thing to be fetishized and objectified Fetishism and objectification can be really hot, and many kinky people seek exactly that. It's another thing to be tricked and misled. Right, like that person only wanted him for this aspect of him that he wasn't right. uh, providing I mean, or could provide. So my question, though, I'm a little confused. By the way, this came uh, this came out in The Body, which is an HIV-AIDS um, like kind of online 
magazine um, that it's, it's, I don't know if it's still popular, but it was a few years ago. Um, my question is, is how, how is it dishonest exactly? Like if, if he was like, re- like, I think this c- comes into like confusion as what we mean by bug chaser is a quote unquote bug chaser. Like, you know, what is the level of bug chase? Are you actually looking for that authentic, authentic idea that somebody is going to serial convert you? Or is it just like, you know, to have a, you know, uh, raw fuck cum loading experience with somebody who is HIV positive? Because those are two different things right. these days. <laughs> right. Well, and I think the person writing this, I think that um, it's really it's fair. I don't think it's fair to, to not disclose a fetish that you plan to explore or whatever sure. in your sexual acts. I don't think if, you know, if you have a fetish for big nippled Italian girls, right. And I'm one of them, for example, and you come over and you start talking about my big meaty pepperoni nipples. Nope. Not into it. Mm. I don't like that at all. I did not give you consent to fetishize that part of me. And I didn't consent to be a part of the situation where that is a very important part for you. So if it's a deal breaker fetish situation, I know sometimes fetishes come up as you as you go and that's fine. But if it's a deal breaker for the person, I think that that's very unfair to not mention, Hey, I'm a bug chaser. You're HIV positive. As you've put in your profile, I prefer HIV positive to not be undetectable, I would prefer you to potentially trans transmit HIV to me. Is that something that you're cool with? So it's Mm. weird. Like the bug. Yeah. Like that's again, the question goes into the bug chasing aspect where it's like, what is the end goal for the Mm. bug chaser? Do you want to be a bug chaser for life and just, Ooh, this is naughty because you could potentially give me HIV or is it that you truly are looking to get HIV Either way, you have to disclose your fetish stuff that's deal breaker to the person. Yeah. That's not fair to them. So I think number you know? nine, um, the drug encounter you never forget. Um, I wasn't going to read all of it, and then I realized there's some kind of very interesting honesty in this. Um, and I think it's, you know, I'm not sure one would ever. <laughs> I've heard people describe these things before. That's why I'm saying it seems really honest, but I'm not sure I've ever <laughs> would we would ever get a random person to admit all this. <laughs> so it says many of us fall into drug abuse right after testing positive. I did. In 2017, injection drug users accounted for 9% of all HIV diagnoses in the United States, according to the CDC. I'll never forget a night in San Francisco when I was high out of my mind and inviting over strangers. One guy came over, a handsome, rugged man a few years older than me, who asked if he could use my shower first. Sure, I said. He toweled off and immediately stuck a needle in his arm, something I've never done. I'm terrified of needles. We had sex for hours, minutes, (laughs) question mark, then talked. I learned he was homeless and refused to take meds. I have anonymous sex at least once a day, he said. It's so hot. I'm trying to get every infection all at once. And the thing is... It was hot to me, and at the same time, I realized he was killing himself. He was forfeiting life in the real world for a place that's hard to escape from. We were similar people divided by a margin that's very easy to cross. I've tiptoed up to that place and peeked in the door. I was saved from it by people who were there for me. He was a wake-up call, and I started going to meetings shortly thereafter. The fact is, some people never heal from their HIV diagnosis. Many of us are battling decades of shame, self-loathing, and internalized homophobia. And all the bad sex experiences from posphobic people drive some of us to lonely and dangerous places. That's why we must constantly support and defend each other. And that's why this article exists. I repeat my opening statement. For every bad night, there's a better one. For every rejection, love and pleasure are waiting. There are informed people and people are wilf- who are willfully ignorant. There are people who see sex as art and people who see sex as sin. If you're new to this, don't despair. You can have a great sex life with great bedmates. You just have to find the right ones. It's a good article. Hell yeah. Because it does cover a lot of the different bases of, of, you know, why you may or may not 
have a good sexual experience as somebody that has HIV and that it's, you know, hope is not lost. It's just, there's a lot of people out there with fucked up shit. Honestly, some of these things that you read could could pertain to a lot of different scenarios, right? Mm. There are people that fetishize all sorts of shit and those fetishes or fear of those fetishes, whichever one that you fall onto, definitely need to be something that people discuss ahead of time and that people go into with a, a open mind. And I think that sometimes we forget that not everybody shares that fetish with you and you need to be respectful of those things, you know? I don't want to be fetishized for certain things that you might fetishize me for. And that sure. needs to be discussed ahead of time. Absolutely. Please don't talk about my fat rolls in a sexual way, unless I've given you fucking permission to call me fat, you know, things right. like that. Like, and, and it, it's just a descriptive word. Sure. But it also in a sexuality standpoint, it could mean a lot and it could hurt a lot. So Absolutely. don't, don't go fetishizing things without consent is And before I forget that, uh, that article was by Alexander Chavez again in the body resource center on HIV stigma and discrimination. Um, so, you know, check out his writing. It was, it was very clever, I think, on, and kind of captured some of the questions we were having. So, um, you know, and we, we did cover a lot here. We covered a lot. So, um, I am looking forward to the roundtable. I know because we always we always find awesome people at the last possible minute. <laughs> I have a have a have a good feeling. I do too. Uh, there was no other questions you wanted to go over. I'm we, good. We, unless you have yeah. anything else you want to dish on. Um, I just I think that there needs to be a greater conversation with prep and with people with vaginas, honestly. Mm. Um, I think it's often forgotten that people with vaginas sometimes do backdoor sex. Yep. And you can get HIV through vaginal intercourse. We know that. But you're more likely to get it through anal intercourse. We know that as right. well. And to just assume that somebody with a vagina could not possibly take it in the butt, right? Like that's such yeah. fucking nonsense. And there needs to be more discussions about that con- that conversation in general, but also we need to get information to to more vagina havers. And it's also ridiculous that a lot of these meds only work for people with penises. Well, and, so- and let's be real. Like there's all sorts of people like not being addressed, you know, if, mm-hmm. if it's mostly gay and bisexual white men, we're right. missing like huge swaths of the trans community. We're missing yeah. like cis women. We're, we're, we're even missing the conversation with straight men. You know, um, like you really Absolutely. think you're only having sex with like, you know, low risk individuals like, yeah, that doesn't that's not real yeah, anymore. It's not it the 50s. Butt. How is that? <laughs> right. Like and you're putting it in the their ass. butt. It yeah. goes back to the whole eating the ass like groceries conversation that all these mm. fucking cis straight men started to discuss when whatever song mentioned it years ago. And yeah. it's like, do you know anything about hepatitis? Do you know anything about what you could potentially transmit? Well, from and apparently they're getting bagged and ba- like they're getting like pegged and stuff now too. Like you could be right, getting like, right, 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 right. You could be getting exactly. pegged and like find yourself like you know having somebody eat your ass and transmitting HIV because your ass is bloody from your like severe pegging the other night. I ex- exactly. Again, it's the acts that we need to talk more about and not the people doing the Exactly. Acts. Well because, said. Because, again, you know, not just men have penises. Not just women have vaginas. Right. Not, you know, there's all the, there's, there's so much that's being counted out when we only talk about it as if it's, it's this disease that only afflicts this one certain category and subset of people. That isn't so untrue. And, you know, we had someone on here that was a straight man that had HIV right. and got it from a straight woman. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is, yeah, the numbers aren't there, sure. The statistics aren't there, sure. But it's fucking part of reality. And you Absolutely. have to keep these things in mind that you are, nobody's technically 
less at risk than the next person over period. Right. Cause and you don't know who your, who your partner just fucked the other day. And right? you need the information. And honestly, if you want to think of really good public health campaigns, I can think of nobody better who loves to tell people the way things are than white females. So, you know, th- <laughs> it would be really awesome to get that information in their hands so they can spread the word. I do think that there was, there's definitely not a huge uptick in trying to spread the word to quote unquote, let's say white females or straight females or straight women or whatever the fuck. Right. Based on the fact that a lot of the medicines don't work for people with uteruses. So it's like this, it's like the campaign ain't there because you're not going to take our medicine. And so therefore, you know, we're seeing all of these different commercials and it doesn't mention anything about somebody with a uterus or a fucking, right. you know, it's just, it's kind of disappointing. Yeah, no, so it's there's like def- once the medicine catches up right. then there might be more of a conversation. Yeah, there's a lot of know? blinders. Yeah. Righty ho. Well, thanks Hose. everybody for tuning in to week two of our HIV conversation. If anybody has any questions, comments, concerns, please write us at screwpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to be a part of our roundtable or you're a bug chaser and want to tell us why you're a bug chaser, where that fetish came from, if you even know, feel free to write us as well because that would be fucking lovely. Fucking lovely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, bye. Bye, y'all. <laughs>